The grind is defined as dreary, monotonous, or difficult labor, study, or routine. Since the dawn of civilization, humans have admired those who are able to transcend the perceived limits. While their gifts may seem otherworldly, they are actually the result of embracing the grind. Today, we will see those who have surpassed those limits, as well as those that make it possible. We will see what makes their artistry so unique. We will hear their distinctive approach to their respective grinds. We will find out, in their own words, what makes a champion. Hello, welcome to the Art of the Grind. I'm your host, Jay, and we are joined once again with the incomparable Pianki Zimmerman. Uh, as we discussed last time, Pianki's upbringing, some of uh, what he experienced, uh, specifically as he got older, as he entered high school and eventually college. So I guess what we'll do is we'll start focusing on your college journey. That's about when you started really formally experimenting with martial arts, right? Yeah, um, it's wow. That's a whole goodness. So I, um, you know, I've always been into martial arts. You know, I was always you know copying, you know, people I saw in, in film and cinema. You know, like I had my Bruce Lee jump kick and you know the Power Rangers and all that stuff. But when I got to college, it was the first time I had my own agency to kind of be like, well, what do I want to do? You know, um, my mom she always you know wanted me to be able to express myself and. Anyway, I, I could, but she didn't want me fighting. <laughs> so, so she saw, um, you know, a lot of people, they have this assumption that, you know, if you do martial arts and you're training to beat someone up and be a bully and be violent, but that, actually it's, it's the opposite, you know? And um, I think she kind of sensed that I also had, this, you know, that huge competitive drive. So she was like, let me just do all the other things first. So when I got to college, I was like, yo, I'm doing martial arts because I've been looking for it for a while. And I finally was able to... Um, take a martial arts class and I was like you can take a class in this so um I took a class and it was in uh, essentially like a form of uh, tongue sudo um it was like a taekwondo type based tongue sudo class uh, I'll never forget uh, Master Roberts he runs a school um or he, he, at least he used to I don't know if he still does but he runs a school up in um actually kind of in this area now <laughs> think about it um and so uh, what I really liked about that class is we could actually like make contact with each other. So instead of just doing a form, like it was like, all right, you also are going to learn how to get conditioning. So we did like leg kicks and thigh punches and like body punches. And so it was almost like a little kitchen type of class. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to need you to take me to day one for people who've never walked into a martial arts class or anything. Like, okay. Let me hear what it was like for you, like walking through whatever doors you walked through. Whatever doors I walked through? Yeah, as far as in like going there the first day, what you saw, what you expected, and, and what it turned out to be. So whenever I would walk into a martial arts school, I mean, I guess the first thing I, I looked for is an atmosphere. An atmosphere of dedication and hard work. And so when I walk into a school and I see everything is nice and clean, that's nice. But I'm really looking for like, who's got the hardest kick? You know what I mean? Who's got the best stance? Who's got 
the 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 fastest punch um you know and whose whose form is 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 impeccable right who has the most practical application who has um who has the 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 most beautiful looking forms right like i'm looking for like what's what's real about the martial sense of this place so when i would walk into a place that's that's the that's the first edge like what kind of school is this and and what's the what's the what's the talent group like and then after that it's okay where are the strong people at? So did you walk into a couple schools before you found this school? Or was this like the first school you walked into? This was the first time I was able to take advantage of my own opportunity and be like, so I'm taking like agency. this. Yeah, yeah. Because before it was like, all right, my parents will pay for it. you know. And then for them, it's like, all right, well, this might be a little too expensive or this might be a little too far. So you know, I'm always... You know, in high school still... They're looking at the practicality of everything. Right. They're, they're, in yeah. the confines of, you know, obviously they have to have a life too. Right, right. So, you know, when I was in, I think it was like my senior year of high school, my dad was finally trying to get me to like, you know, take up a martial art. And so uh, I was like, you know, it's a little late, but you know, <laughs> sure. So he was going to help provide for that. And we, we ran into um, a capoeira uh, place. It was really cool. It was at a, a local YMCA in Philly. And I had a great time there until I didn't. <laughs> um, and, and, it was funny. It was one of those things where, like, there was nothing wrong with uh, the atmosphere. Is great, you know. It's it's complicated. It's 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 a family type of orientation thing. Um, but then there's there's always one guy like this. There's this one guy who kind of I guess he felt um, a little I don't want to say threatened, but like he was he was the like the second in command. You know what I mean? He was like the number two guy, but he's a young guy and. I was, I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? I was like, all right, it's capoeira. It's like an African style martial arts. It'd be great. I want to learn this. And so I'm like busting my behind trying to get good at it. You know, we're, we're running with bare feet and like I'm getting sores on my, on my, on my feet. And then we're, you know, we're doing the Jenga and, and, and the, and the music and, and, or playing. And like, I didn't, I didn't have as much beat as I thought I did. Right. Cause I was doing break dancing, but like, even then, then like, I didn't actually become a really good dancer until I got older because I didn't realize like the what makes breakdancing cool isn't the special flashy moves. That's what people remember. What makes breakdancing good is is your your being one with the beat. You know what I mean? And and that kind of also runs along in fighting as well. Like finding your wave, like finding your beat, your groove. Um, I, I like to call it your groove. And so I was at this capoeira place and the headmaster, he was really cool. But his direct student who was like learning underneath him, for some reason didn't like me. I had no idea why. I was just like, you know, I'm just trying to be great like everybody else. And I think it's because he saw the potential that I had, you know, because I was just random kid. My, my little brother was taking a class with me, you know, we're, we're, we're young. And so um, we're doing the dancing and uh, I, get, I get paired up to, to compete against the, or I guess the dance with, with uh, the second in command guy. So he's doing these moves and I'm clearly like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to stay on beat. I'm trying to move. Right. It's obvious that this is very new to me. All of a sudden I'm getting a little bit used to it. He ducks down and disappears. The next thing I see, it was like, I swear it was like a cartoon. It was like red flashing with yellow stars everywhere. And my brother says, I spun around three times before I, I crashed into the crowd and fell over. And so, um, yeah, that guy had basically like, you know, hit me in the face with a really powerful kick. Um, 
I forget which one it's called, but it's basically you, you duck under and you hit him with like a kind of like a hook roundhouse type thing. And um, yeah, that was that was really annoying, really embarrassing. And he didn't have to do all that. But like I said, it's it's always one guy who's like, oh, you know, you think you can you think you can come here and like, you know, be great. And like I'm just like, I'm just like my first or second class, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but he must have saw something because you know he he decided to take that out on me and you know the, the the master then apologized and stuff like that so like you know i had different experiences where walking into a school i would see like all right who's who's strong here and and where can i put myself at so maybe he already sensed that you know maybe he already sensed that i'm i already gave him a gauge and i was like all right it's going to take me a while to get past you but this is a new sport and or new martial art entirely so learning it, it's going to be difficult but once i get a hang of it i could i kind of felt like you know i'll be able to excel with this like really well so your first formal experience was that taekwondo from that party years ago and then that children's party we spoke about last time oh yeah so that was your first formal experience so then your next formal experience would have been this capoeira experience one one of the one of the next ones uh because we were looking for different schools we went out a couple different different places yeah yeah we went to a kung fu school that had like it's like a seven mountain spirit fist or something like that in philadelphia that one i was really interested in joining um but i think there was either the the getting there was going to be difficult or it's going to be a lot of money yeah logistical wasn't going to be work so then um, we saw the the YMCA part. Like it was really cheap, you know what I mean? And we could go and do it there. And it's, it's an African martial art. You should check it out. So we were really like that one. Um, but we never really settled in on a particular place for me because it's just it was one of those last minute things I was trying to get done before I went off to college. Yeah. So then when I finally did go off to college, I was like, all right, I'm taking this martial arts class for sure because I want to do martial arts. And um, I stepped into there and... You know, I just see a bunch of other college kids and I know I'm going to really excel because this is what I want to do. But like, I didn't know how that was going to work out. <laughs> um, but being able to actually get the conditioning was amazing, you know. So I was like, yeah, people get to hit me. This is great. I get to hit people, you know. This is, I, this is why I love football. It's why I love uh, boxing. I love a lot of contact sports because I like the physical engagement of it. And I also like striking in general. So football, it's like striking with your whole body it works. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I took that class, you know, I aced it, went from white belt to yellow and then from yellow to green. And I was expecting to continue on with that, that school because I really liked it. And then one of my other uh, classmates, Philippe, in my, one, of my, like, one of my English classes, uh, we had met at like second semester and he was like, oh, you're into martial arts too? And I'm like, yeah, man, I take the thing up here. I take the class at the school. And, and he's like, oh, you, you should come check this other school out. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man, we do. And he's like, he's like a car salesman. He's selling his school. Like it's like the best thing in the world. And I'm just like, right, that's cool. That's cool. You know, I'll, I'll see it first, you know, and then check out. So, um, you know, I've always wanted to compete. It's always what I wanted to do. I wanted to take my martial skills and use them in a real life platform and like be that that wuxia hero. Like I don't just like, you know, I don't play martial arts. I live martial arts. I wanted to just in, envelop all of it. So when I did actually go to the other school, I was like, okay. I actually went to the, the primary school that they have. Um, I think it's in the Shady Grove area. And so I was like, all right, with the students they have here and the masters they have here, I've given myself about two years before I'm like somewhere close to the top student. 
Like, yeah, you know I mean, if I just push myself and like, I, I could sense it, that could definitely be a top student in about two years. And so I was like, that's, that's, that's a good, you know, barometer to work for. And then by then maybe I'll be doing other things or, you know. And so um, my man, Philippe, he was like, yo, man, you got to come check out my school. My Kung Fu school, yo, it's, it's so, it's so great. You know, like, you know, you know, what kind of things they do over there? And I was like, oh, well, they got these kind of moves, that kind of move. Like, oh, see, well, they got these other things over here. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, dude, all right. So I finally check out the school, right? I walk in and this was like, an, it's like a spiritual experience because um, it's like all the stuff he was saying was like true and then some. And that was the weird part, you know, because wow. I wasn't used to. Yeah, normally people like talk, 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 and you kind of have to set yourself up, you know, ground your expectations. Right, right, right. And so I was expecting to be like, you know, it's going to be kind of cool. But I walked in there and I guess at the time it was, it was, it was the sheer volume of students that they had there. And, and it was basically everything that I wanted. So it was traditional Kung Fu that had hard and soft elements. And all of the students were of varying ages, varying uh, ethnic backgrounds, varying economic backgrounds. And they all worked hard. Like I walked in there and it was just sweat. And just hearing people, you know, yeah, hey, hey, doing their forms, and everyone was super focused and super dedicated. And I was like, I think this might be the place for me right now. So I started, you know, talking to people, and I ended up gaining a lot of, a lot of like lifelong friends, like in that in that school. So as soon as I walked in, he's like, oh yeah, this is so and so, this is so and so, and I met two kids that could do two hundred push-ups, <laughs> easy. Like not like this is like their their max. They're like, oh yeah, I've done it before. Want to see it again? <laughs> it's like it's like you you come from like a you know I, I was like the top dog in Dragon Ball, and like and I, I come up and all of a sudden like you know there's, these kids are already going Super Saiyan. You know? <laughs> like I didn't even get there yet. What do you, like, slow down? You know. And so um you know I I got to you know really get into the forms there I, I basically made that my next um my next martial jump I was like all right i'm going to join this school because not from the stuff that my man was saying but the fact that the stuff he was saying was real you know like, there's a lot of people here and i think the like i said that the amount of people the amount of diversity um the amount of of, of e- even like class diversity like it was a place where we could all be the same you know what i mean we all went there and it's like hey like we're all Kung Fu brothers and sisters. We just, we, we rock together, you know? And we used to have like, you know, we used to have uh, Friday night, like dinners together sometimes, a bunch of us just get together and like eat. And it was just a very like wholesome, like healthy, you know, uh, format. And um, yeah, man, and, and the whole power level thing, man, like say the one kid, the two kids that could do 200 push-ups. Right, like it was nothing, and I'm thinking like that's already you set the bar so high. I didn't even get to see how strong some of y'all are, right? And then so then when I'm looking at like hey, what's the what's the combat style like, and then they had a striking class there Tuesdays and Thursdays. They had striking led by uh, Seeing Ed and Seeing Mike, Mike Sutton and Ed Pratt. They that's where I get a lot of my striking from, and they would whoop my tail then again, just just. Like everything I would try to bring out, and you know, it's just like I wasn't used to having so much of a challenge. I was just like, yo, it's going to take me a long time. And even the people that didn't fight, I could look at them and be like, and just from seeing their form and how they move, I was like, it's going to be many years before I, I get 
to where you are beyond like let alone you know surpassing you like just to get in, into that realm i'm gonna have to put a lot of work i'm talking five ten years because they've been doing it like that at least you know and some of these guys they were doing it for like 20 years so i was just like seeing that um i guess that kind of like refined edge you know the sharpened blades like i just like yo i can't get that sharp just yet but but I'm coming, you know? <laughs> and so I made that my my new martial home and I tried to learn as much as possible. I tried to train as much as possible. Like through college, I actually considered dropping out of college just so I could focus on Kung Fu. And wow. like that, I would just be happy. You're ready to be a monk. <laughs> I wanted to be a Kung Fu master. I wanted to have my own school. I wanted to be able to do all the cool things that, you know, that I, I saw. The 35th chamber. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wanted to make my own chamber, you know? Like, I was I was serious about that life. And, and I wasn't the only one. Like, that's a cool thing about that place is, like, a lot of us were really like, yeah, man, you know, Sifu, he, he showed this other thing, and it was so cool. Like, you know, one day I want to have my own school. And, like, we, we had so many... um I had so many dreams about it being, you know, just like this awesome, beautiful Shaolin temple thing, you know, and um, I, I think it could have happened uh, back then, but you know, Sifu was kind of just like doing. He had he had his other plans, right? <laughs> so um, I always wanted to compete, so I was taking the the striking class, and I was like, yo, you know, I want to do. Um, uh, oh, so so one day. I was I was actually uh, training, and one of my friends there, he was like, "Yeah, his name's Lester." Lester's like, "Yo, man, you look like you look, you look just like the spider." And I was like, "Oh yeah, Spider Man." I did the whole you know the web shooting thing. He's just a favorite superhero. He was like, "No, no, you look like like the spider, Anderson, the Spider Silva." And I was like, "Who's that?" The goat. <laughs> so, so he's like, "How do you not know who that is?" And I was like, I, "I don't know. I don't. I've never heard of him." He's like, "Dude, that's." Just like right up your alley. You you look your body type's just like him. You kind of move like him. You should you should definitely check him out. So I was like, really? All right, cool. I'll do that. So I went back to my dorm and I told one of my other friends, Brian Campbell. He was another friend of mine, and uh, he started going to the kung fu school at this point. And he was like, oh, that dude. You don't know who that is? And I was like, yeah, I have no idea. So he's like, yo, let me hold up. So he pulls out his computer and he starts looking up like. Uh, he pulled up Anderson Silva. He pulled up uh, Genki Sudo. Those are the two I remember, right? And I was just like, my jaw dropped as I'm watching it. And I'm just like, this is what I want to do. Like, are you kidding me? And then I was like, yeah, man, it's, it's the UFC. It's the Ultimate Fighting Championship. It's this thing that's been starting for a while. And then I was like, oh, shoot. And then I remembered my uncle had showed me years ago, like when I was really little, a VHS of one of the first like UFC like matches where they had it was like kind of a tournament type system. It was still like in its infancy, and you had style versus style. You yeah. didn't have like you know, oh, this guy's better at this. And this guy. No, it was like ninjutsu versus boxing versus kung fu versus taekwondo versus American wrestling versus whatever. You know what I mean? So you would just come in there with your style, and then you just fight. And so they had the one guy. I forget his name. Really shouldn't have forgot his name, but he's got the. Uh, he had one boxing glove on. Yeah, I uh, can't remember his name either, but they, they allowed him to box with one glove. Yeah, so that he could. That was, like, uh, I believe that was UFC one. Yeah, it might have been. Because um, I think they might have done a, several of them, but I just I just remember my, my, my yeah, uncle. He got tapped out of UFC one. Uh, 
can, oh, his name is escaping me, but I, I remember him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like he's iconic. He's the one glove dude. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, my uncle had actually shown me that like years ago on VHS, and I was like, "Wait, you mean this? Like, it's evolved into this now?" And like, I had been studying Jeet Kune Do like by myself, and so I was like, you know, into my like I was heavy into my Bruce Lee stuff when I was like in high school. So like, when other kids would go to you know. Uh, study hall they'd be like you know breaking out their homework or you know talking to friends or whatever i'd be sitting there with dubs you can do reading episodes and trying to like find my own martial way so when i see like you know that a lot of this a lot of those concepts have kind of been modernized into you know what what is today not the ufc i was like yo like that's that's what i want to do so i started studying more and looking them looking at those fighters and and um now I went to my school and I was like, yeah, so, you know, we know how to strike. Like I'm, I believe in our, our striking, but like, what about our ground, ground game? You know, what about the grappling? And they're like, oh, well, we do have monkey form, but like, you have to like go, like, that's like way, way down the line. And like, see if I should choose you for that. And so I was like, oh, well, shoot, then I'll just do that. Then I'll just train and get Mario up there. You know, I just kind of looked at it as like, it's, if that's a challenge and that's, I'll, I'll go meet it. And so uh, it took me a while, it took a lot of a while to, to find out that like a lot of what, of what Sifu wanted was not necessarily what we wanted. Gotcha. And so like, you know, I wanted to, I was ready to drop out of college just so I could train under him and just so I could, you know, help lead a new school or do whatever, compete, you know, fight around the world doing that. And he, I don't think, had any aspirations beyond, I'm going to make this money, <laughs> and I'm going to encourage you, but I'm going to make this money on my terms, and you can do what you want. And it wasn't very, it wasn't as forward as that, but it was It was kind of like, you know, oh, you want to do that? Oh, cool, 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 cool. You did that. Oh, I'll show you this little form over here. I'll show you that later. Like, it was very- he wasn't- you know, gonna gonna sacrifice essentially what you were for the journey, um, and I think that that's a big thing. Um, and some people, uh, just to, just to, I think it's important that people who are less experienced understand this early because I've seen this happen so many times. Um, one, your coach can have all the best intentions, or your master, or your crew, or your sifu, or whomever, can have all the best intentions but not be the right fit for you or your journey. Two, um, I understand, and I know you understand as a coach, that to some extent a student does have to earn it because there's nothing worse than giving time and having it wasted. But on the flip side, I've also seen the cult of martial arts where it basically becomes hazing. And like, how bad do you want it? And, and it, it it goes beyond. And, you know, all right, if I just grind for six months, I'll get there. If I grind for another year, I'll get there. If I grind there for another two. And that teacher never gives you the time. But then other people come in and they're getting it over you. Now, understand, patience is a virtue. And it is important. If you're lacking something, maybe your commitment's not enough, maybe you're whatever, you start logging it in. If you realize I've been here five days a week, uh, four days a week, however many days they're asking of you, I'm I'm showing up, I'm running on my own time, I'm doing my strength and conditioning, and I'm not making progress. 
a conversation needs to be had. A good leader who's trying to guide you will tell you, hey, listen, overall, you're killing it with the skill work, but I need more from you physically because, you know, if we're talking, I'm talking in a competition sense right now. Mm. You're not there. You're too small. You're undersized. You're not strong enough for your size or you're carrying too much weight. We've got to get you a little lighter. But if you're not getting guidance to go where you are and you don't have a coach who's willing to put the time into you that you're willing to put into them and you've done enough to where you feel you earned it. And I don't mean I showed up for a month and I look great, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, if we're hitting month 10, month 11 and people that have only been there for two months are starting to get favored over you and they're inexperienced. I'm not talking a fighter with, that is already a fighter that has proven himself, someone who's fought for a title. Those are entirely different situations. If another rookie student comes through and they have a fraction of your time there and they aren't putting in the kind of time you are, but they're getting chosen over you, I do think it's important you start analyzing your place in things because I've seen people give up their entire careers believing in coaches that never sacrifice for them. Sorry for that rant, but yeah, I do think nah, that's a very important um, thing to get out there. It's it's kind of eerie that you, <laughs> you went in that direction because those are some of the things um, that I heard were starting to happen. Like I wasn't as close with the, uh, you know, like I had only been there for, let's just say three, four years, right? Um, but I saw there was a lot of like, you know, infighting with different things happening and you hear different stuff and you hear like oh you know well so-and-so got chosen over so-and-so for this reason and that reason you kind of start looking back and be like all right i just want to fight <laughs> you know guys that's what i want to train i want to learn i want to get as much experience as possible and i want to compete and i actually like the saddest part was i really believed um at, at that moment and the times where i were training at that gym i really believed that was the best kung fu gym in the states like in the entire united states i was like this is to be the best one because we're serious about our forms we're serious about our weapons we're serious about our conditioning we're serious about our our striking um i even had uh one of my instructors had had some wrestling experience so that that's even something that could have been you know uh, taken advantage of right but it wasn't a fight school and so for me it was like I was living this like pipe dream of like, you know, if I just get to the right form, if I get really, really good at this, then, you know, then I'll be able to have, I'll learn some, some ground techniques and then I'll have something that I can use and compete in the MMA with. Right. So quick question. Was your mindset, because I've seen both of these, was your mindset like more old school? Like I want to represent this style and show the world how great it is. Or was it like, I need to just get to where I need to to be the most successful fighter I can be. Both. Okay. I really when I, I really believed in that like I wanted to be the next Wusha. And I wanted to be the next Wusha here. I wanted to be Bruce Lee so you know, two point Your dream was tied to this school at this point in yeah. particular though. It wasn't and, like I'll go where I need to to get it. Like I want this school to be part of the journey. By the time I started really excelling at that school, I built the family there. Right, I like we're all friends. They're trying to help me. I'm trying to help them. But I was the only one who wanted to fight competitively, gotcha. and I had people who have fought competitively. Like Sifu had sent out Philippe to go and do a, a thing. I think some somewhere in like South America, 
you know, my man who got me to the school, he, he sent him and and uh, James. I'm actually going to have a chat with them <laughs> later tonight. It's funny. I had this, this, game, this thing came up. But um, he sent them down uh, to South America to compete with, like, forums. And I think they also did, like, some striking stuff, right? Now, it's not the same as, like, the stuff that I do now. But, yeah. like, that was... I was trying to do whatever I could. I want to compete. I want to fight. You want to be you know the best I mean? everywhere. Right. So I was like, yo, man, like... Why didn't I get picked to go? You know, I want I want to go and show my stuff too, and so um, you know, I so said there was, I I had to sit back and realize like, you know, actually it took me leaving the area to realize that I wasn't going to get what I wanted there. I can get things that I want there, but ultimately, it wasn't going to be fighting. You know, everything else I would get the conditioning I can get there. Right, the the martial skills I can get there, the um the the fighting techniques. I can get there, but I wasn't going to be able to get the ground techniques that I wanted um, unless I was able to pull somebody aside and be like, hey, show me this, you know, in the back end. And even that it's not a, it just wasn't equipped to be a fight, a fight school unless, unless particular things were taken um, into account. So um, after college, I moved out West because I wanted to get into, I'm, I'm a man of many, Many dreams and many um, <laughs> many skills. So I moved out west because I was like, look, I need to somehow get into the animation world because I love animation, I love art, and that's what I went to school for. And the best places to do that stuff is out in Cali. So I was like, I just went out there, didn't know what I was going to find, didn't know how I was going to find it. I was going to go and find something. So I did some jobs here and there to make ends meet and just trying to find my way around things and eventually my brother hit me up one day i love my brother he's like yo man yo how, how you doing i'm like yeah i'm doing all right I'm just out here chilling trying to see who i can network with and what I, and he's like yo and he hits me up with um carl jones's uh myspace right, carl jones is uh one of the producers of the boondocks he's actually the voice of a lot of the different characters he actually um is the art director behind a lot of those models for that anime and so He's like, yo, man, this guy's he lives right where you are in that area and he works on the boondocks, which is like, you know, my favorite show. So my brother's like, yo, like, stop sitting on your ass and like, you know, get to work. You need to get and talk to these people. And so I was like, Oh shoot, right, all right. So my little brother is here from high school trying to give me directions on how to how to move out here, right? And so I'm like, All right, cool. So I just um I sent him a, a, a email and I was like, hey, you know, I just would like an informational interview because I have some questions on like how you did things. Well, I checked out his his um his MySpace when that was a thing. You know, I had a lot of cool artwork. He had his own like little action figures he was trying to trying to sell and stuff. And he hit me back quick, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. And so he was like, yeah, sure, you know, uh, you know, just give me a time, you know, I'll definitely be able to do that. And I was like, sweet. And, you know, when you give somebody, when you ask someone for an informational interview, it's very, like, low stakes, right? We can have a conversation. If you don't like me, you can just tell me to go, right? <laughs> if, if you do like me, we can talk and maybe something can happen. Or maybe something doesn't happen, but it's just I get more information, right? So, um, dude, just, like, he's hooked it up and he's like, yo, man, um, it's like, yeah, you know, what time's good for you? He's like, uh, I'll be in the studio at this time. Yeah, yeah, come around this time. You just come visit the studio and I'll give you a little walk around tour and, you know, we can just like kick it. I'm just what? like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, dude did not realize, like, cause I was, I, I saw myself as the biggest Boondocks fan, like the biggest Boondocks fan, right? So I'm sitting here like, I just got the keys. And so I'm just 
So I I spammed that joint so much. I was like, all right, cool. So I drive up to the studio and he gives me the, the so there's like a gate, you know, with a, with a key code and you have to use a key code to get in. So he gave me the key code and I memorized that joint. <laughs> so <laughs> I put it in there. I, I parked in there and he, he shows me around and I'm looking at all the different, you know, different rooms with the different, you know, machines and computers and stuff. And then I get to sit in first first day, first interview, just just to ask questions and see what's up. And I get to sit in on a meeting with all the the producers. And then Aaron Magruder is No way. <laughs> he's not there, but he's on the um he he's on the computer. They bought a laptop. Right. So he did a Zoom call. For so he, he like telecalled it. He, <laughs> he video conferenced. Right. In. This is like before that was like a real big thing too. Right. <laughs> so he video conferences in. I was just like, whoa. And I, I couldn't even really see his face. Like he didn't even want to show that. So I was in there like, oh my gosh. Like I'm in the I'm in the same room as them. They're talking about they're talking about season two, and I, I'm in the same room as the man. Yo, this is great. I was I was loving it. Like that experience. Thank you, Carl Jones, for that. That that was that was an amazing experience. Um, just just being able to be in the same place, and then um, so afterwards, you know, chit chatted a bit, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, if you know anything, you know, let me know, whatever, you know, and, and I might I might meet up with you again." And I was like, "All right, cool." You know, I I called this brother so many times. I texted him. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, what's got anything going on? Hey, do you guys need any help? Hey, hey!" I just kept on going for it. And then, like he would, he would give me a time because you know everybody's busy and they're doing stuff. So if you're not, if you're not anywhere near top one priority, you're you're top five. Like you're not even you're bottom five. You know you're you're five and below. <laughs> so like I was I was uh, I got pretty desperate to where I I just started showing up at the at the studio. <laughs> <laughs> I already had the code, so Stalker I just showed boyfriend. up. I was like, "Yo!" And I, I, and I walked into the front desk. Hey, we, I, I'm, I'm here to see Carl. It's like, you got an appointment? And I'm like, "Uh, yeah." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Carl comes out the back. He's like, "Yo, hey, hey, how you doing, brother?" Like, "Yeah, how you doing?" So I just came by to see you, see what's up. He was like, "Yeah, um, hey, come on, come on, man, real quick." So you, you gotta be careful. You can't be just, you can't be just coming to my job. Yeah, I, I get fired. <laughs> I was like, yo, I was not going to let go. I was going to, I was going to work with you guys. And I'm, I'm going to get something done. So, as I'm living out there and working in Cali, I'm trying to find different. You know, you should have pushed for the mailroom. That's that's where you start. You start in the mailroom. I, I I needed something. I what I got was a little bit better, but what I'll get to that. So, <laughs> in terms of Marshall stuff, right? I still like I wasn't with my kung fu school anymore because I'm now in L.A. Right. And so I'm training when I can by myself and I'm looking for different schools that I could join in. So like there was like a, there was this ninjutsu school that was nearby and there was like a couple of uh, places nearby. But then I saw this one place I moved to, there was a Gracie school on the same street. And I was like, bro, it's Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. That's the famous one. That's the one my uncle told me was defeating everybody. And that's like, I need that, right? So I walked into Gracie school and... I'll never forget the energy was just so off-putting. You know, it was one of those. You walk in and you're like, hey, man, like, I All eyes on learn. you. Or- not even. Not even. It was like nobody wants to look at you and nobody wants you here. And I'm not saying this is all greasy schools. I'm saying this particular school that I walked in, maybe it was that day, 
But when I walked in, I was eager to learn, eager to do whatever I can to learn, to, to, to try out. They wanted money. So they were just like, all right, here's the price. Here's the, here's the schedule, you know. And then, like, and then pretty much left me to my, my, you know, to my, like, just... You know, at, at the risk of upsetting, and, and, and jujitsu is a very important part of both of our journeys, mm. but part of the history of jujitsu is that the Gracie family, they were wealthy spice importers. Um, they were part of the 1%. If you were wealthy in Brazil early on, obviously now it's for everybody, the sport has opened up. Um, but even in the early 2000s, but the, the barrier for entry was generally money. And then the sport for the every man in Brazil was luta livre. And you know, obviously that's changed over time. Mm-hmm. But uh, back then, you're talking pretty early in the takeover. They were starting to gain notoriety. This um, is like 2004? Yeah, that's I about... I want to say 2008. Yeah, Season one, season two of Boondocks that would line up with my early days in the military. Um, yeah, so it's 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 pretty early into things. Yeah, two two thousand three, two thousand four is when I I moved I moved into LA in two thousand three, and then I started uh, talking with them like out in the fall, I think. So it was like, so I I I had been to a certain I had I had to move out of my my cousin's place when I finally did. There was the Gracie School. Right, right down the street, and I was like, "Yo, this is crazy." So I walked in, and it's it was fake. like, <laughs> and then he got this, Bruh, It was mad expensive. Like the the amount I would need to pay there, I was like, "Wait, hold on." So first of all, I got my car, <laughs> my car insurance, and I got the the rent, which is cheap, but it's cheap because I'm not making a whole lot because I'm trying to, you know, trying to make ends meet, hustling out here, trying to live the dream. And so I was like, "There's no way I'm going to be able to afford that," and. The energy that they gave me was pretty much like, if you can't afford this, we're not the place for you. And like, I never went back after that. Like, I used to jog by it, you know, walk by it. Man, it'd be nice to go up in there, but like, I just don't have the cash for that. So, surprised you didn't dojo crash. You know, (laughs) I I think because I've just done martial arts for so long, I know that'd be be really a fool's errand. Especially if I had to run into my kung fu school and something like that, man, I would have got toasted. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, like all the masters there were, you know, were really, really good, and they would, they would just jack me out real, real easy. I mean, not even the masters. It's just, there's some of the, some of the kids there are pretty good. Like I became known as like one of the best fighters because I took that seriously. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I was trying to be there. If I had a busy project, if I had a midterm or something, I would definitely try to make sure at least I got in my Tuesday and my Thursday in that week. I feel like a lot of things probably suffered by your oh, martial arts journey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I remember thinking, like, man, what would my mom think if I told her? She's like, nah, she would string me up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I need to figure out a way Sorry, to, mom. you know, <laughs> to pass, you know, a graduate from college and and fulfill my martial, um, my martial destiny. So, yeah, you know, it's... But I was yeah, I was known as like like I was known even in college because I would come home I was such a nerd like thinking about it like it's it's a little embarrassing but it's actually kind of like endearing at the same time you know so like I would come back from sparring and I would be like at the bus stop shadow boxing with my with my hand wraps on and my mouthpiece still in because I didn't I didn't switch off the mood from training you know and people look at me like. Who are you? <laughs> what, is, what is this? And um, you know, like I said, I knew where I wanted to go. 
but if you didn't if you didn't understand that need you know that desire if you didn't understand like I wasn't out here just I'm not doing this for you yeah I'm not doing it to show off for you like I, I'm in my own head I haven't taken my mouthpiece off out of my mouth and it I've been training for hours and I just it took an hour or, or change to get here and I this thing for you I'm here I'm living in my space you know what I mean and so you know a lot of people probably looked at me and was like that nigga's weird <laughs> and I was like you know hey man I'm I'm just doing my thing being me yeah and, but um, I'm sure a couple of them uh when the highlights popped up, we're sending love on the back end. Hey, oh, yeah. I ain't seen you in forever, man. I remember you shadow boxing at the bus stop. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like you know, as soon as like as soon as I started fighting, a lot of people were just like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I see, I can see that. I can see that. I had one. Um, I had I had an ex girl hit me up. Uh, I mean, maybe I hit her up, but she was like, yeah, man, I'm really proud of what you're doing. I was like. Really? For what? <laughs> She's like, you know, you you taking the thing you wanted to do and you're just like living it. You know what I mean? Not not everybody has that kind of um she was telling me not everybody has that 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 courage to go and do it, but you did. You said you wanted to do something and now you're just doing it. And and you know, she gave me a big props for that. So I was like, Oh, that's you know. I do think um one of the most important things, regardless of how far your martial journey goes, is if you have a desire to do anything, if, if you've ever wanted to do a tournament, if you've ever wanted to fight, if you've ever wanted to do anything, or if you're an outsider that wants to step into that first class, um, not everything is going to be perfect. It's not all rainbows and sunshine, but not being afraid to be a little weird, not being a little afraid, afraid to, to mistakenly walk into the wrong room or whatever, it's such an important thing. Um, what's the old saying? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Right, right, right. Um, you, you, you have to shoot your shot. And odds are, you, you know, you may not be the next world champion. Things may not take you down this this wonderful whatever. But there's so much magic between taking that first step and wherever you do end up that I promise it's worth it. I, it's the one of life's hardest things to, to come to terms with is is that our time is finite and the journey is beautiful. You know, like, we're not here forever. But while we're here, why would you spend 90% of your time not taking those jumps, not taking those leaps, not taking those chances? Unless you're doing something else that's fulfilling, you know, do, do what you know you can do that safely, obviously, but like, just go for it because failure is a part of life and, and that's the biggest thing that's been hardest for me to, to, to really like gulp down is like yo man like you're going to lose you're going to lose when it's up to you you're going to lose when it's not up to you you're going to lose when you're just walking by down the street this is a saying that old people used to be like, you know, oh, well, you know, um, when people used to say, you know, you should stop smoking because it's bad for your health and blah, 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 it can kill you. And a lot of old cigarette smokers would be like, hey, well, you know, quit smoking today and walk across the street, get hit by a bus tomorrow. I'll be all right. You know, and it's <laughs> kind of like, okay, sure. Um, but 
you know, it's walking the street is not, you know, crossing the street is not the same risk as, as giving yourself lung cancer. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, you need to be able to make those, um, take those risks because because it's not promised. You know, we've lost a lot of people. You know, last year we lost, you know, we lost John. Um, that's all, basically just a year ago. You know what I mean? Uh, rest in peace. Yeah, um, it's a rough one. He was, he was like my, 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 he was like my older brother, you know, as, as a boxer. Um, I'll get to that later. But basically, <laughs> what I was trying to say is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're afraid of, of failing. Um, and, and we feel that once we do make that 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 failing mark that that's going to be the thing that identifies us, and I think it's really important that we understand that like just as much as losses don't define you, your wins don't define you either. It defines where you were at at that moment. Absolutely, I try and tell people all the time, and you know this. I I think we've both at some point, you know, through our journeys, have had the privilege of probably being the best person in the room at some point or another. Um, and when you are the best, it's not a 24-hour-a-day thing. You catch me when I'm groggy and I haven't woken up yet or something's a little tight or I had, like, off days happen. Off hours happen. Off minutes happen. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to get challenges around the clock, 24 hours in a day, I don't care if you are the best in the world. The losses are going to stack up just like the wins are. It's part of the journey. And, you know, it it sounds cliche and cheesy, but they say, like, you know, how how you handle the loss, like, defines you. For me, it really does. When someone loses, the first thing I do, and we're not supposed to judge people, but I'm here to tell you I am judging you all. (laughs) When you lose... And I don't see a post go up that says, you know, that my coach is saying it didn't go my way today, whatever. And that's one thing I will say about you. Every time you win or lose in that same period of time, there's a post that has the results, that gives respect where it's due, and calls it what it is. And then the other thing that I see is when you don't take ownership of your losses, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the ref wasn't with you. It doesn't. You didn't stop the fight. You left. You let it go. However, it could have, and that's not to say you can stop every fight. That's not the, you know, your opponent did something, obviously. But if it doesn't go your way, it didn't go your way. You just fight again. You run it back. Like I don't understand this. Like I need to be undefeated. That mindset is is so fake and fabricated. Like it's unrealistic, and it's it's like uh, you know, well, every entrepreneur in the world wants to be a billionaire, right? Or at least let's just say. A good a good amount of them, right? You usually go, usually go into business because you want to make money, and you can't have. Well, now we can have a bunch of billionaires because our whole economic system is a little messed up. But you know, not everybody can be billionaires, right? Not everybody can be the number one. You only have one, yeah, right. We have different weight classes, and you have different organizations, and each one of those organizations has a one a number one in their weight class. So, trying to get to that is 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 the journey in itself is the payback. I think it's we have to kind of understand it's like with, with we have a population of so many people who are competing and everything is moving so much faster. You know, there's a 17 year old who was just, you know, got, got, uh, indicted to the, um, that just got, uh, into the, UFC. into the UFC, right? He's 17. When I was 17, I was dreaming of doing this type of stuff, but it wasn't around. It's, if it was around, I wouldn't. I had no access to it. Yeah, I had no I mean, access it, to learning. Anything. It certainly wasn't a feasible career path. Um, 
Not at all. The, I mean, Aaron Riley was fighting at 17, but, you know, those are Midwestern values. Love you, Aaron. <laughs> those are Midwestern values, and he, he's a simple guy. He didn't need for much. But, you know, if you are someone who comes from a uh, metropolitan area or whatever, um, I mean, you're talking Pennsylvania, things are not cheap. Yeah. You know, that's close to home for me. And uh, it just... Back then, it wasn't a sustainable career. Now, you don't even have to go pro. If you're an amateur with enough juice and you pick up some sponsorships and you teach some privates. You can make a lot of money doing that stuff. I will never forget. Um, I went and did this one seminar. There was a local MMA fighter. And my, one of my other coaches was was hosting him at um, at his other school. And I went to the, to the seminar and I was like, I looked at my coach and I was like, bro, I think I'm better than this dude. Like he's like, and it was no no shame to the to no shade to the guy, but it was just like, bro, I, I we train hard, and the stuff he's showing us is, is like all like super basic. Like, I can't I, I can't learn anything from this, and I could teach this way better. <laughs> and I kind of felt like you know like how much I like used he's charging a lot of money for for those types of things. I'm like, well, I could do something like this and make a lot more. And of course, Josh was like, well, you you gotta be able to. What's your record like? Well, I'm not even pro yet. Well, that's be a pro and get a good record, and then we can talk about having, you know, yeah. And so, but like the funny thing is, like, so everything, everything in technology, in STEM moves exponentially faster, right? The day before is going to move, no, the day, today is going to move like more than twice as fast as, as yesterday did, right? So, like, I I actually got to see where MMA was a thing that was just talked about in certain Valley Tudo things and you know and then UFC had his first couple of matches and then I got to see it explode into now it's like all right cool anybody with a smartphone can get access to 99% of the martial arts yeah I mean (laughs) look at at one point you could only watch you know MMA on a misogynistic (laughs) network that was designed for a very specific audience you know uh, women fighting um, which, even though women who fought were my introduction into martial arts, uh, as far as MMA goes and jiu-jitsu, it was women who took me under their wing and showed me love mm-hmm. when men wouldn't even look at me. Because men are nationally competitive. Right, you don't right. want to teach the guy that's going to beat you if, right. if your ego can't handle it. Right, um, right. I will say that's one great thing about Josh. He doesn't bar someone because he sees they can be brilliant. He gets excited by it. Yeah, But... um. Josh is the owner of CPMMA, which we will talk about later for those of you that uh, don't know. But, um, yeah, you know, women, it, it openly, like, oh, women will never fight in the UFC. And MMA was like a fringe thing. Now ESPN covers it. You, yeah. know, you see it on all your news. If mm-hmm. you open up, it doesn't matter if you look at uh, CNN or, or whatever major news site, you're going to see... You know, it could be the Washington Post, uh, the New York Times. MMA routinely makes front page news for various things, sometimes not good things. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the last night's events, like it moves the needle. Yeah. You know, you, you've got organizations giving you MMA for free left and right, which used to be the case with boxing. And boxing's starting to try and get back there. But, um, yeah, it's it's entirely different than it was even seven years ago or six years ago. Like it's crazy what what it offers now. Yeah, it's it's 
like part of me feels like I was born in the wrong time, but at the same time, yeah, maybe maybe it was the right time because um, you know, when I, I I wanted those things to be around, but they weren't yet. So I was a part of that. I was a part of that drive to build it. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, I was competing in it the way I wanted to. I'll never forget the first the first the first fight I had with Josh was um it was ridiculous. Should we? That's, that's a big skip. Yeah. So let's see. We we made it to L.A. Where'd you go after L.A.? All right. So L.A. Oh, I was trying to martial arts out there. Couldn't find a school because wasn't making enough money. Why was I not making enough money? Well, so I'll go back to Carl Jones, right? <laughs> so remember, I was trying to get. <laughs> so you started stalking. <laughs> I started stalking him at his, at his workplace, and um, eventually, I, I some some sometime some weeks had gone by. And I had like hit him up every now and then, but I wasn't stalking him as much. But I was, I was still, you know, trying to get back in there. All of a sudden, he calls me. I was like, "What?" Like, yo, I picked the phone up real fast, real fast, and I was like, "Hey, you know what's what's going on?" He's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm just he's super nonchalant, super chill about it. You know, hey, we're just looking for, uh, you know, somebody to help us out with a couple of things. Just wanted to know if you were still in the, you know, ready for something like that." And I was like, "What do you need?" <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> what do you, you need me to kill someone? Right. <laughs> right. Shoot, I got the gloves right here. Um, so he was like, "Yeah, nothing serious. We might be looking for like a production assistant. You know, um, work on a couple projects. But you know, if you if you're interested, you can you can meet us uh, at, at this place over here." And I was like, "Bet." So I showed up, man. I had I had my dress shirt on, a tie, I had black slacks with nice shoes. I got there. These Batmans is, well, not all of them, but there was, they were smoking. <laughs> there was some smoking going on, and so I was like, "Oh, okay." And they're looking at me like, "Who is this square? And why? What did he show up for? You think he's getting a job?" <laughs> That's when you rip off the shirt, you flex for him. Nah, that wasn't until later. That wasn't until later. So I got there and. I'm like super nervous and they're like yeah you know we're just looking for something can you help take some of this stuff out the car I'm like yeah sure like, alright this guy's really eager um, and so basically long story short I ended up being the production assistant for um, the Boondocks team however it wasn't necessarily for the Boondocks it was for another project they're working on which was a live action um, uh, skit show basically called um, what's it called the Super Rumble Mix Show. Right? Hey, I've known you, I don't know, 13 plus years. How do I not know any of this? I I, I had a various, various types of experiences. They like say I, I finished college with a degree. So I could, you know, say my mom, I went to college and I graduated and I ain't stupid. And then I went out to LA to be like, yo, this is where I can make that degree work. And now I'm working as a PA for the Boondocks people all of a sudden, and I'm out here cutting it up with like you know Slink Johnson. Um, it's funny, did you see Black Jesus? Yeah, I know Black Jesus. <laughs> I know Black Jesus. Not only do I know Black Jesus, I was in the pilot, not in the pilot, but I was a part of the pilot episode for that show. So. Super Rumble Mix Show was a, a, a mix of different like skits, right? And one of them was Black Jesus. Man, <laughs> on the first 
episode of Black Jesus, right? He's chilling with his homies. And he's trying to talk to them, try to give them the word and stuff, and they're not listening. I remember that. A bunch of dudes, and they're just sitting around, you know, the couch playing games and stuff. And he's like, all right, you know what? See, I'm not listening. There's a water bottle on the table. See, he goes and he touches the water bottle. <laughs> I'm the magic that turns into a bottle of heads. <laughs> <laughs> He touches it. They say cut. Everybody freezes. I went in there, switched it out, came back out, and then they played it. And he's like, "Yeah, and like, hey, 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 buddy, just hey, give me some of that." He's like, nah, nah, y'all. I was trying to give y'all the good word. Y'all, y'all want to listen. Now all of a sudden, I bring some Hennessy. Now you want to talk, yo? I wanted that show to 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 be a thing for years, and so after I moved back from LA, um, that I I, I stayed in touch with with Slink, and I was like, yo, man, like. I, I kept calling him Black Jesus, and I don't know if it was fate or something, because he kind of was just like, all right, it's, it's, it's a good concept, and you know, it might not go anywhere, it might not go anywhere, it might, we'll see, we'll see. And I kept telling, I was on it, I was like, nah, man, Black Jesus is dope, like, you are Black Jesus, you got to live that joint. And so, a couple years later... Yeah, they got a couple seasons out then they got, too. You know, they had three seasons out, and I'm like, yo, that's what's up. Um, but yeah, like, so like, I would, you know... I, I, I get to hang with him. I got to do work with um, Gary Anthony Williams. Yo, Gary Anthony Williams is the funniest man I've ever met. And I'm, I've met a lot of funny people, but I think no one that we worked with that I, when I was there had the room holding in tears, farts, spurts of piss, whatever, holding everything in until... Cut was yelled, and then everything just went loose. I mean, we had so many, so many times where he did that. He's Gary Anthony Williams is a is a class act, great human being. Um, it, it, I don't know if he'll ever see this, but you know, much respect and and um, it'd be it'd be an honor. I make, sure, make sure I, I slice the clip and we'll uh, we'll tag him. Yeah, man, yo, he's Gary Anthony Williams was funny. I got to meet John Witherspoon. Man, I got to I got to be at his, his one of his houses. And um, this is before his son, because his son was young at this time too. So I don't even know if his son was into the uh, comedy thing at the time. But like he had like little orange tree joints in his in his property, and like it's like a wall going around the whole thing. He had a nice car. It was, man, it was great. But he was one of the nicest people I ever met. Wow, really chill, really like down to earth. Like, and he's one of the celebrities where like when you see him, like he calls you by your first name, and he remembers that. Yeah, you know I mean, like, so when, like when I would be brought up in conversation for whatever minimal reason, he was like, "Oh yeah, Bianca, cool dude." So I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, John Witherspoon is, is, you know, he's he's so a down to earth enthusiasm ends up leading you to this whole other. Bruh, man. Now the 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 cool part was his experiences. Experiences were just like you can't you can't pay for that. Yeah. Right? Um, the non cool part was I doubt it translated financially. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, Amber Grover is a cheap, he a cheap, cheap son of a gun. Um, <laughs> when it came to when it came to my services, he he was like, you know, you know, let him work. You know, everybody does, everybody does free work coming in Hollywood, and I'm just like, yeah, but I'm putting all my time in here, and you know, little, little song would be nice, but you know, um, he, was, he was he was very uh, very particular about how everything went. And so he was like, nah, you can make your money elsewhere. You work for free here until we get you a job. I was like, all right, cool. So, um, but yeah, like it was, I, like I said, I got to meet all kinds of people. But because I didn't get really paid for that, it was basically you know, working for free. 
And I was putting a lot of my time and energy into that because I was like, this I want to build. I ended up working, <laughs> I ended up working um, two like part-time jobs to make ends meet for me, right? So what I did was not intelligent necessarily, but it, it, but it was, it worked for me at the time. <laughs> so what I did was uh, basically five days a week with them, right? And then on Monday evening, Friday evening, and then all Saturday and all Sunday, I had the other two jobs. So one of them was uh, working at Papa John's, <laughs> making pizzas in the back. And the other one was um, I was a cashier at a Japanese supermarket. Now, both of these places actually have some really interesting stories about them. Um, one, the, the Papa John's, uh, I, I met some, some friends there and I ended up having my first like cop encounter with, with some, some of the workers from there because we decided to go out and eat. And on the way back, I'm dropping one of them off and you know, you get like an eerie feeling. You feel like something's not right. Yeah, I call it my nappy senses, right? So my nappy senses are going off and I see there's a car that, that drives by quickly, but they have a, a searchlight on them. So they, they, they shine, the, they went by fast, but they, sh- they shine the searchlight in that alley to where we were, right? Which wasn't like an alley. We were in a parking lot, in an in a apartment complex, but the space between these two buildings, they were in a real fast and they was like, all right, what are they looking for? And why do I think they're looking for us? Because we just got back from Denny's. We didn't do nothing, right? So my friend, he's like, nah, man, just chill out. It's all right. It's all right. My friend, he's lived there for a while. So I'm like, all right, if you say so, I feel something. I trust my nappy senses. Something's weird. So we're driving home. Or I'm driving him home next. All of a sudden, I see this, this cop car. And I was like, they're kind of they're eerily staying close to us. And he's like, nah, man, this is whatever. You'll be fine. You're just, you're just thinking about things too much. And I'm like... All right, man. So the cop car was in front of us, like by several cars. I watched it get behind other cars and motion itself directly behind my car. Right. So I'm just sitting there, like, bruh, <laughs> you you saw them do that, right? He's like, nah, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> Lights go off. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. All right. So now I'm thinking, all right, what are you supposed to do? What, what did my mom tell me I needed to do, right? Because you go through the list as a any many black people watching or listening, you yep. know, you know what you, you need to do. Keep your hands visible, move slow. Hands visible, move slow. Keep your voice down. Be nice and respectful. Get your paperwork and if stuff you out it, you ahead turn of on time. Your white voice. Turn on the white voice. Enunciate your words. Like all that stuff was going through my mind. Don't speak any jive. Make sure everything you're saying is simple and clear. It's simple and clear, and and non-offensive. Um, so I got, I, we got one cop pull up on, on my side, one cop pull up on the other side. So they did a good cop, bad cop thing, right? So it was more like angry cop and, and complicit cop. <laughs> so I got the angry one, obviously, right? And so they're asking us these different questions and I'm confused because I'm like, I don't know what we did. It was, I'm driving them home. So, um, uh, you know, the, the cop that's you know talking to me, he's like, hey, you know, what, what are you guys doing? What are you doing here? I'm like, I'm, I live in the area. I'm just driving my coworker home. We're just at the Denny's, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
So then he was like, okay, you know, blah, blah. It's, what I, I, I saw as a circular questioning, right? There's never a real answer that they want. They're just trying to pick as much things from you so they can end up using it, right? Which is like, all right, I, I get it. But like, I'm sitting here like it's cold. It's, it's late. It's like four or five in the morning. I'm, I want to go home. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there like, he keeps asking me these questions and I'm just like wondering like, where is this going? And then eventually I'm like, hey, like, is there like something like specific that you're going for? Can I help you with or whatever? Cause like, and so he's like, why don't you shut the hell up and let me ask the questions? So now I'm scared, right? Cause this guy's angry. He yelled at me and I don't know what I'm doing here. Like he pulled me over, but I don't know what for. Yeah. Right. And so and I'm being very respectful. Right. Um, and then he's just like, you know, being really like just quick with me. And so I'm like, all right, Pianchi, calm the fuck down. You don't want to get, you know, be a, a hashtag or some shit like that. And so, um, eventually, uh, my phone goes off because I had an alarm to wake up early in the morning because I was trying to get myself to get up and do like an early run and, you know, stretch and exercise and stuff like that because I wasn't going to a martial arts school. So like, I got to got to be healthy, right? So my alarm goes off. So it's 5 a.m., right? <laughs> so I don't want to move fast because it's an angry cop and he clearly doesn't like me for whatever reason. And um, I'm like, I look at him and I'm like, hey, can I can I turn my my phone off? He's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. It's like, all right, cool. Because he was already like, you know, hyped up. And this is where I messed up. So as I'm reaching for my phone to turn it off, I say, well... Cause I don't want to get shot reaching for my cell phone. Get the hell out of the car. Excuse me. You heard me. Get the hell out of the car right now. Okay. <laughs> so I, I can't. I can't win. Right. So uh, we're sitting out on the curb. That's when you asked to see the white shirt. It's. This is my first experience. <laughs> no, just for listeners. <laughs> You asked to see the white shirt. If no charges are being explained to you, you technically have not. So. When there's a Terry stop, they have to have reasonable suspicion that uh, crime has been committed. And there, you know, there is no reasonable suspicion at this point. There was no reason for a Terry stop. So when they pulled him over um, and they started pressing him, but they didn't present him with any charges, there was no traffic infractions, no whatever. There's no reason for him to come out of the vehicle. There's honestly no reason for him to give his information to them either. Um I tend to comply just because you're operating a motor vehicle, but you absolutely do not have to. And when they make you get out of the car, you are able to ask to speak to a supervisor at that point. You don't have to yell. You don't have to whatever. The, the worst thing you can do is is get worked up, but you speak through calmly. Okay, well, I need to see a supervisor and I need to understand why this is happening. <clears throat> Keep your questioning minimal if they get overly whatever you go with it, but make sure you try and remember everything you can, dates, times, and you go and you file that complaint. You know, obviously things have changed now from then. You have cameras everywhere, so there's better chances. And uh, in certain places, you have a better chance of whatever. I mean, Survival. I've, got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pulled over in broad daylight and uh, drawn down on. Um, so some, sometimes they just don't care. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that it took them that long means they, they didn't really want the static. They were just trying to, to get what they could from you. So, uh, yeah, so for people uh, listening, a lot of that stuff works when you're not black. <laughs> no, it can, it, it, look, it can work if you're black, but you gotta, you might have, a, you might need a couple more things because, no, you know. All you have to do, I'm telling you, all you have to do, 
you comply. All right, well, I'm going to need to speak to a lieutenant. And if they start to get aggressive with you, you just give them their thing. You you don't you don't scream. Don't fight you don't back. Give, yep. You give them your whatever. You recall dates and times. They can't. There's only so much that can be done. I'm saying this as someone that you know just left law enforcement. Mm. Um, obviously, if you live in a smaller place, like again, we're talking early 2000s. Game was much different. If you get caught in a small alley here or whatever, that's a little bit different too. If you're in broad daylight, or if you're in, in an area where there's enough cameras, they, I mean, you see it all the time on the news now. But the best thing you could do is stay calm and let them think you know a little bit. Yeah. Because that's the number one thing that it's fear, they're afraid of. If you know some things, if you're talking like you have a bit of knowledge, they don't want that static. If you already know, all right, well, following a complaint, blah, 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 I'm speaking to you, LT, they, they can't make things go a certain way now you have gps trackers and cars everything is different obviously again in early 2000 it was much different like i said in broad daylight pulled me out of a military vehicle had guns drawn on me in the middle of the highway but and i was in uniform (laughs) and i literally was doing nothing we had a flat (laughs) you're not even dark bro i'm more than dark enough i'm more than dark enough But you, 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 my, you, my uncle's complexion. Yeah, we got all kinds, we got all colors in my in my family. So we got like light, and then we got real, real dark. So, but the obviously the game has changed over the last twenty years. But the best thing you can do is if you are really eerily calm and you're asking the right questions, they're gonna calm down immediately. I, I like that you, you mentioned the um the calm thing because that's that's the that's. That's the thing that those officers that night were trying to they, get they, from. If they elicit the reaction, then you're resisting arrest. That's what they want. If you're just like, I'm telling you, the OGs where I grew up at, I, and I, I grew up around a bunch of felons, <laughs> when when they would get taken in, literally, they just, boop, hmm, say nothing, do nothing. All right, cool. They would never. It was always the young boys mm. that would get locked up, they'd be rowdy, and they would get messed up. The OGs... If the cops are gonna mess you up, they're gonna mess you up anyway. Right. But right. the best thing you can do is not give them. If you're eerily calm, it makes them uneasy because they feel like you know something. And if you know something, things may not go their way. Knowledge is power. Exactly. What they are looking for is to elicit that reaction. But if you ask a couple of the right, well, okay, uh, let me talk to you. All right, cool. No, no, I got nothing else to say. Understood. Okay, cool. If you are calm. It makes them uneasy, and they're. <laughs> but if you, if you, what did I do? Which is natural. It's human. You're you're upset, especially yeah. if you're someone who is naturally trying to live life justly. And I've mm. been there. I'm. What did I do? No, was I speeding? But it, it, it did not go my way. But then, with age, with wisdom, with experience, and obviously training, eerily mm. calm. Okay, what's the infraction? All right, cool. You want to pull me out of the car? I, I don't feel safe getting out of my car. That's what you okay. Like if they want you out of the car, they're gonna get they you out of the car. <laughs> so don't don't die on that hill. That right. becomes resisting. <laughs> that that becomes impeding an investigation. That becomes so many things. You notice how I skipped I skipped the part where I got out the car. I said we was on the we was on the curb. Yeah. <laughs> he said that we was on the curb. Yeah, no, look, I mean, yes, it would be nice to stay in the car forever. Do, do not, I see those videos, don't don't be, you know, uh, not not saying you should comply with everything magically and jump out the car, but 
if you got cops walking up on you and they are determined to get you out the car, it's going to happen. It's not worth it. So uh, your best bet is just to make it so that they have to really scratch their heads to find something. Because as soon as you show any emotion, that's that's where it goes. So this was like the first of oh, yeah, many. I, I, I remember <laughs> my first encounter and I did not handle it like that at all. And it did not go my way. So so I was, uh, the, the funny thing was like, I was actually really calm the whole way through. It was just my choice words were the ones that pissed off the officer. So when I, but the funny thing is, it's not even I said he was going to do something. I'm just letting him know I'm not trying to get shot reaching for my cell phone. Right, and then that made him pissed off, and I think it made him pissed off because he knew he was trying to elicit a response to make him hurt me, right? Because that's pretty much like what they were doing with the whole, you know, good cop, bad cop thing. And so, um, you know, we're sitting on the on the curb. I'm I'm freezing. It's cold. They're asking us. It's more circular questioning, circular questioning. Yep. So then the the good cop, quote unquote, you know, I guess I'm calling him the complicit cop because I don't think it seems good. He was basically like, oh well, so you know, the reason why we pulled you over, um, or the reason why we're, why we're here now on the curb is because uh, you guys told us some different things. And I was like, what do you what do you mean? He's like, well, you told us that you guys were just leaving Denny's, and he told us you guys just dropped a friend off. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, we, we went to Denny's, right? And then we dropped the one friend off, right? And I was dropping him off. You can you can you can put those things oh, together. They, absolutely knew so, what they, were like, doing. they know what they're doing. So um it took me a while to know what was going on because I I was for for serial really thought that these guys were literally looking for bad guys and maybe I fit the description or something. Yeah. That's why I was like, Hey, can I can I help you with something? Is there something you're looking for? And so um Eventually, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we just pulled you over because, you know, uh, you have a broken taillight, and uh, yeah, that's it. Goodbye. And so I was like, okay. So I go check the car. There's nothing wrong with my taillight. Yep. That's Absolutely it. nothing wrong with my taillight. And then it dawned on me, what's the first thing that officers do usually when they pull you over? What's the first thing they say to you? License and registration, yes. License and monkey flipping registration. Yeah. Never came out their mouths because I had it because they said that apparently there's been a lot of car thefts in the they, area. They're going to say what, and man? Blah, blah. I was I was so mad. One time in Arlington, I was in uniform. I was with a bunch of white soldiers. I was with the only, So I get pulled over by Arlington PD. You know, and I, I go through white boys asking all the questions, but now I got a little more experience than with the cops. And the cat next to me, man, oh, White people, I'm sorry, y'all are different. He's like, man, fuck you, pig. What? <laughs> like, I'm about to get pulled out of this Yo, car. Bro, you about to get you killed. I literally felt my He's like, God, why don't you go arrest some criminals, do some real fucking work? And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, don't you know how to talk to fucking cops? <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I'm we talk. I'm gonna die. This comes against everything I ever. Bro, I was so scared. The cop ended up just, all right, gentlemen, have a great day. Bruh. Had I been the one saying those things, Bruh. man. See, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about white privilege. Y'all got y'all got cheat codes, okay? Because that's not that's not how it works when you person of color. You don't just Bro, tell them to screw never, off. Nah. He was in a passenger seat, just going off on the cop. And cop was just, I'm like, don't don't stop. My face would have been on the pavement. My arms would have been twisted in ways they're not supposed to. I've been screaming in pain. It'd been bad. We if I'd ever we done that. McDonald's on Columbia Pike. And we got pulled over behind a bus at a bus stop. And he proceeds to start cussing the cop out. And I'm, at the, I'm behind the wheel. And I'm looking at the cop. And I swear, I was like, 
I'm either getting arrested or I'm getting killed. This is not how you do it. That's see. So I I think I've actually I might have actually been not that. It's, it, to not to that extent that crazy, but I've been kind of like that angry white guy before. So, like I say, I was getting pulled over a lot because it's just driving while black. It happens in LA, right? Yeah. So, to the point where I got really frustrated about it, you know, because I'm just like, bro, I know you're only pulling me over because I'm a black dude in a car. And so, this one, uh, when I was with my friends, one time we got pulled over because we had a little, little incident at a party. And so we left and they pull us over like we didn't get a block away literally we went up the street like two houses down turned left boom got pulled over like that's how quick it was and so they're like you know asking us these stupid questions and it's the same thing the circular questioning and all this nonsense i'm sitting here giving like i'm giving my answers but i'm I have a little attitude because i'm upset because i've seen this before and i know y'all have nothing better to do and i know somebody called you over here because they saw a black person was at a party and there was some kind of small incident and all of a sudden they're scared, right? And so I was like, th- like I was just fed up with it, you know what I mean? So I'm saying, saying I'm giving them my answers, but you know, they got a little sass on them, you know what I mean? So my friend, my best friend, he's looking at me, he's like, P, like, nah, bro, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, just chill out, I'm not trying to get messed up. And so I'll never forget, they pulled him out the car and they searched him and I was so embarrassed because it was like, my best friend's one of one of the most upstanding people that I know, you know. And so, to see them exercise their hate on him was it felt super personal. You know what I mean? It's like you're going on family, and like you do that to me, you're like, cool. You're 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 a racist asshat, whatever. But now you're doing it to my best friend, and he ain't do nothing but be the sober driver, right? And so you're giving him hell, and I just, I felt felt awful about that. So I actually realized that some of my Anger could have contributed to that outcome, even though it's not my fault. I had a hand in it being that bad. Yeah, I mean, you, you, know I mean? you are a citizen, justifiably uh, beyond annoyed, frustrated. But the fact of it, like I said, the best thing you can do in these situations, you you pull emotion out of it. You Keep just stay calm. neutral. You 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 act like a CEO in a meeting that knows he's got the upper hand. Uh, you, you don't beg, you don't plead, you don't say I'm innocent, you don't say anything. They're, they aren't the DA. The, it doesn't. You can be arrested by cops. They don't get to decide if you have charges put on you. They don't get to decide what charges are pressed. That is the district attorney. So the best thing you can do is just be cold as ice. Let black Jesus handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um. Shoot! Oh man, we got we we be going off on these topics. <laughs> we, definitely do. we definitely here we are supposed to be going down the Marshall journey, <laughs> and now we talk about getting pulled over by the cops. But you goodness. know these are important conversations, and I mean, yeah. some of our listeners, you know, you may not understand, or you you may even think there's paranoia. I'm I'm here to tell you, as a service member, as a police officer, this stuff exists, and you know, thanks to me being Puerto Rican, I'm only. 30% black that's still dark enough trust me I've, I've gotten it but it, 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 the dark you are the worse it is that's true too there, there is a, a light skin benefit yeah. um, but it, it, it exists I've, been, I've seen it I've experienced it firsthand. I've been around it my whole life um, and 
I say this as someone who's lived above the poverty line, below the poverty line, all over. Um, and these things still go on. And it's it's easy to overlook it or misunderstand or, you know, oh, well, if you just complied with the police, you can comply with the police. If, if they don't like the tone of your voice, if they don't like, they, they're coming for you. It so matter. There, there are ways to resist, but they're not what you think they are. Like I said, acting completely neutral and devoid of anything and asking a couple couple questions to let them know you know a little bit goes a long way, but that's about the extent of it. You can't can't really shoot off your mouth. I mean, you can, but depending on who it is, what it is, what's going on. I would, I would say another thing that's, um, that's good to know about these incidents is that they're human, you know? So like my dad, he was always, you know, always a real talker and he could always get people to laugh and so when he got pulled over he got himself out of tickets out of certain situations just because he he just came 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 cool with the what the officer was like look man i was this is what's going on blah blah blah. throw a little joke in there and then he's like all right cool you know what maybe maybe he does give him the ticket or maybe he doesn't or maybe he lightens somebody else's day you know i mean i think that's an equally good perspective to have um sometimes and I say this from the law enforcement time side too, just like you thought, you may have fit that description. Sometimes there is a description. How many, you know, I'm imagining you were probably driving something like a Honda Civic. <laughs> Bruh, it was a, <laughs> it was a white uh, hatchback Honda Civic. <laughs> look, look, look at that, look at that. How it many was like or something like Honda that. Civics were in LA around that time? Bruh, it so, was a bunch. And it was, it was the, like, that was the criminal car. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> look at like, I just took a shot in the dark. <laughs> but look, but look, I didn't know that at the time. Okay. It was just my first car. I right? So my, my, um, actually my, um, my cousin, he actually, my, my cousin, he just actually passed away. Um, uh, like uh, about a month ago. Um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, cousin, cousin Sammy, he sold me his uh, my first car. He had he had extra cars, just you know, not doing too much with it. And I just moved in. He was like, hey, you know, give me about this much money. Or I'll sell you my car. So I gave him a little bit of money. He gave me the car. It's my first vehicle. So it's like I own this joint. That's why I was really mad after I got pulled over. So it's like if you asked me for my license registration, you would have seen that was my car anyway. But like I said, they, like you said. They they knew what they wanted. They yeah. wanted to harass a black dude and a and a brown dude. Trying and, to listen to response. You yeah. know, but not every time is it that. So there is also the human element. And I often do start off my interactions like that. I will say, whether I want to or not, because of my experiences, I do know how to address these situations better than a regular person. And it should never have to come to that. Because as the officer, you should understand that everyone is human not just you and that person may be having the worst moment of their life as you're coming up on them so they they may not be irritated for anything other than a a fight at home a loved one being sick you know bad things happen every day to good and bad people alike life happens but um it's just something to be mindful of it's it's unfortunate that it's still something that is significant in our culture but i mean it is and it's a significant part of Pianchi's story from being in a predominantly white town um, and having that be part of his upbringing to, you know, experiencing overt racism from the people that are supposed to protect us. So I say uh, my, my last little um, little cop story. <laughs> so I've been getting pulled over a bunch 
um, while I was living in LA. It was not fun. Um, and but I was getting used to it. And so this one time I got pulled over by this guy. I was by myself, I believe. And, you know, I, I always knew the difference between a good cop and a bad cop based off of their introduction. What do they say to you first? If they're a good cop, they come to you, license registration, do you know why I pulled you over, sir? Blah, blah, blah. Buy the book. You know what I mean? Or they just treat you like a human being. Hey, do you know why I pulled you over? You okay? You know, like just treat me like a human being. All right, you're you're good. But as soon as they come up and they start asking questions like, where are you from? What are you doing here? Where are you going? Now I need freedom papers. You know what I mean? And so um, this one officer came and, you know, this, this white guy came over. I mean, he had like kind of reddish hair, mustache, little beard. And uh, he started off on the wrong foot, right? Where are you doing? Where are you going? Blah, blah, blah. I'm just, now I'm just like, I'm over it. I'm so over it. I, I had a rough day. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm mad. So I get a little, just, just a little sniffy with him, right? So he's like, you know, one, one of my favorite questions, do you have problems with officers? I couldn't stand this question, right? Because like, what do you want me to say? All right, you know I'm black, okay? So of course I got a problem <laughs> because y'all keep pulling me over for no kind of freaking reason. So I'm just saying like, you know what? He asked a question, do you have trouble with officers? So I'm like, just the racist ones. Excuse me? Nothing. <laughs> but it made him laugh, right? I mean, he smiled, he realized, all right, I'm being, a, I'm being an asshole, right? And he knows it and he's not having a good day. I'm just like, well... Do you want to get left with a warning tonight? I say, what? You say, do you want to get left with a warning tonight or should I write you a ticket? I said, a warning is fine. <laughs> you wrote me a warning and you let me, you let me go. And it was, it was cool. You know, um, this is kind of like, the whole, like acknowledging like, hey, man, I'm just, I'm just a black dude trying to live out here. And, and you, you give me the, you know, you give me the, 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 the bad signs. And then he was just like, all right, I'll, I'll let you go. I did have a taillight out technically um, on that one particular time. <laughs> technically. Uh, I had I had tape over. Somebody had hit my car. So I had a, a piece of tape over it, but the tape was supposed to match the same color. Yeah, it's supposed to be like light. red. Oh. Yeah, it's supposed to be red. So all I had was dark orange. So it was starting to bleach out a little bit from the sun and it started to look a little yellow. So he was like, yeah, you need to get that. You, you need to put tape over or something. I'm like, yeah, I'm broke. I'm in LA trying to live the dream. Which means all my money is in dreams right now. <laughs> you better pray to black Jesus. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like a black Jesus is kind of broke at the moment. He's not helping me. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, I had a great time out in LA doing all kinds of stuff, uh, meeting all kinds of people. Um, and then, so during that time, though, there was a, there was a recession. There was also a, an actor strike and a writer strike. And I think at first it was the recession and the act. No, recession and the writer strike. A year later, the actor strike happened. So when the actor strike happened, a lot of the big companies was like, "Oh, y'all think y'all have power, but there's a lot of people who will take your position for half the money. So bye." <laughs> they just started. Then everybody was just taking whatever job they could get. I remember I was working on a, uh, a project with Terry Crews, good dude, one of the few, like not few, but one of the nice people that I met out there. And, you know, he, he, he knew me by first name at the time and he was really cool. And, um, I was working on a project for like, an independent movie he was doing and I was supposed to be the PA for that. And it was like a paid position, but like, you know, we had to get together and do the filming. 
So we had like one or two shots where I was on scene, you know, doing stuff with them. And then the actor strike hit and never didn't get a call back from that job anymore. And like nobody was getting work. It was just really, really tough for everybody. Um, so eventually I ended up moving back to the East Coast because like, well, I went out here for all this stuff and I, I dabbled in it greatly. But now all the money's dried up. <laughs> you know, and on multiple, uh, you know, uh, fronts, like the the recession was in full swing. I was actually in LA when um, uh, Obama was was uh, named for being the, the next president, right? So I'm like super excited. I was working this other dead end job. I was at a supermarket as a bag boy. I hated my life. It was like I went from like the, the highest of the highest to like the lowest of the lows. So I'm sitting here like everything is really terrible right now, but. We have a black president, so I went and did some break dancing on the on the tile floor, and eventually I ended up moving back to the East Coast because everything that I wanted to do in the West Coast pretty much was just drying up. Just the, the, the opportunities weren't there, and the money stuff wasn't there. So I moved back home. I was kind of looking at my wounds, and I felt like really, really depressed because, like, man, I was doing one of my things out there, and then like it just, I felt like if I move back here, I'm not going to go back out there. I I knew that, but I didn't know why. But knowing that made me feel like I would it would be because I was a failure, because I didn't get what I needed to get. You know what I mean? And I would just be a normal, regular person. So I moved back to the East Coast, and I'm trying to find my way through. And I found um, I, was, I was remember one day I was looking at some some old old video of Anderson Silva, and he still wasn't that big yet because we're only talking like 2000. Eight, you know, at this point, and so I'm looking at it, and my 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 cousin, I was staying at his place, and he's like, "Yeah, what was that?" And I was like, "Oh, this Anderson Silva, he's, you know, he's one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time." So let's say he would have been champion by then. He'd already fought. He should have fought Rich Franklin, I think, twice by 2008. Uh, he would have beaten uh, Chris Levin. This would probably be like six or seven fights in the UFC, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, it was still, UFC wasn't He wasn't as making big Anderson Silva money yet, though. Like, yeah. Americans didn't like him because he didn't speak much English. Bro. Um, and they didn't really know how to market him. That's a whole, that's a whole nother. Mm. The Americans didn't like him because he was a black man winning. I mean, that too. For but a he also big portion too. of it, well, that's they, what I saw. They, they love Quentin Jackson, but Quentin also played into a lot of stereotypes. So they, it, you had to fit a certain image to be a black man that Americans love. Yeah. They didn't develop this love for Anderson, though, until like much later in his career, like toward the twilight. Yeah. So, so, so I was telling, I'll get into that later. So I was telling my cousin, yeah, you know, I want to, I want to do this stuff. I want to fight and compete. And he looked at me and he was like, man, I can't get you to do the dishes. I don't think you want to go and do that stuff. Why don't you go, like, you know, you got any job applications filled out? You know, because he was trying to get me to work because I was, you know, I was in a real, real stupor. I was in a real depression. And um, depression is, is a, a, it's not a, it's not a night and day thing. It's not an on or off thing. Yeah. It's a very, it can be a very fluid thing. And so um, I was basically just trying to find my, my restart space you know what do i do from here i was in the place to do all the things i wanted to do and then all those avenues were basically shut 
off one by one. So now I'm back at home and I have this feeling it's going to be really, really tough and the, the whole country's still suffering economically. And then like, what do I do from here? There's nothing, there's no animation stuff or there's not even a lot of like media stuff out here, you know, on the East Coast. So like, what do I do? So I decided to start, you know, do whatever job I could and just start practicing martial arts. And then eventually I found a job to uh, be a video production teacher at a summer camp and i was like yo they're paying good money so i was like let me let me do that you know i'm good at working with kids and i just got back from hollywood so i definitely have experience on you know on video production stuff i did stuff in college as well so yeah let's, let's do it so um i taught uh taught some classes that at that summer camp had a really great experience and then i started basically just working with kids after that so as i'm working with kids at different capacities it's like a tutor or an after school counselor or whatever um, I would be practicing martial arts, you know, on my off time, trying to find a way that I can compete. Um, so I ran into my friend, uh, uh, so different uh, communities of people I knew kind of all knew each other. So I ended up staying at this one place and we called it the Dragon House. We called it the Dragon House because most people who lived there were Asian and most of them had some kind of martial arts like background. So I was like, cool, this is dope. Like I remember we had this one one party. Oh gosh, this was a crazy party. Crazy party that, so we had our regular party on the, on the top level, right? And then in the basement, um, one of our roommate's friends had asked to host a party down there. And so like, all right, cool. Here are the stipulations. Only if it's such and such amount of people and you don't blast it out online and tell everybody where we're at and blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to follow these rules. Capiche? Capiche. Cool. He has the party. Oh, the day of the party, what does he do? He blasts that stuff on Facebook. <laughs> Come to this, please. Blah, blah, blah. We having the biggest, blah. Yo, so what, we had a big party upstairs, but the downstairs one, there was a line. There was a 20, 30 foot line coming out the back of the house. Bro, we're like, yo, wh- 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 we told your friend not to do this. What's going on? He's like, hey, man, I just, I don't know. I look, I look. <laughs> so we're having all kinds of people come in. They're, they're leaving trash in the neighbor's yard. They're just, just doing the worst, doing the most. And so I'm, so people were trying to come into the downstairs uh, party out the back. That's where the main entrance was. So, some people realized they could just pay a cheaper fee at the front because he was charging people money like it was a regular club. He was, I don't know how he had all these connects, but he was charging people. It started at $20. Towards the end of the night, it was $40 a pop to get in there. So I'm like, yo, I live here, bro. Like this is not like this is not the club. This is not cool. But there's too many people. Too many people can't can't control the situation. So like when I did go downstairs, literally. Because I used to live in like a downstairs room. I went and got to my room, and there's a bunch of chicks in there just chilling because one of them had, like, she was feeling a little sick. And somehow they got into my room. I thought I had locked it. And I'm like, what are y'all doing? This is my room. This is all my stuff. Like, and so they're like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, she wasn't feeling great. Can we sit here for a bit? So I'm like, I'm not going to kick y'all out. You know, just, <laughs> it's like, Robbie, you know. <laughs> I mean, y'all here, you know. Who's your hero, you know. <laughs> right. I'm the <laughs> Right, right. I got to, you know, I have to have honor, you know, integrity, you know. So you, if she's feeling, you know, it's just when she feels better, she can leave, but just, you know, respect my space, please. I'm going to go and check the rest of the house up. And so I could see that they were, you know, they were, one, I didn't have anything valuable of stealing, you know, and some comic books and some video games. Like, they don't want none of that, right? And so um, I, as, as, I, as I'm trying to travel 
through the downstairs. Literally, it was so packed. It was basically like sardines. Literally, I, there was no space between you and another person. It's my body, and then there's at least three or four other bodies touching me the entire time. And not just like touching me, they're pressed against me. So we're like, in order to move, I had to literally swim through human beings <laughs> to get to the other side. Definitely not a COVID friendly environment. Oh yeah, no, this is way before that. Way before that. So so at this party, right? So I went upstairs. So people realized that, oh, we could pay $5 to get it upstairs and we could still get the party downstairs instead of paying 20 at the back or 40 at the back. So people started coming up at the, up the top. And so most of the, most of the people at the, the upper, uh, the upper floor, you know, there was like the, we got the, the Asian party cause we had a lot of Asian connections there. We had two black people and the rest of them were Asian. So most of the people who came to this party were Asian. <laughs> this is how it worked. And so um, a lot of people started coming through up, upstairs. And I was like, all right, I know, I see what you're doing. But I'll end up being like one of the bouncers there because people started just trying to like push through without paying or just like being, you know, being rude. So I was like, all right, I got it. So I'm at the front. People trying to come in. Free for girls, $5 for guys. Free for girls, $5 for guys. Free. Hey, hey, guys, $5 for guys. Oh, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool, it's cool. No, 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 no. I live here. Five dollars for guys. Just it's five bucks. Just pay it or 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 don't. You know it's fine. And so then, you know, the guy starts getting an attitude with me. Like, ah oh, man, you know, see, I don't like how you're talking to my friend here. I'm like, look, man, I don't. <laughs> I'm not trying to be be tough or nothing. It's just easy. Five dollars. You two dudes. The women went in for free. You two dudes. Five bucks. That's it. Just to cover alcohol expenses. That's all it is. And I'm not even the one doing. It. I didn't even bring alcohol. I invited like. Three people, four people came and left early. <laughs> so I'm just trying to make sure everybody else is safe, you know, and and things are like you know somewhat uh, structured. So this one dude is like, yeah, oh, man, I don't like how you talking to my friend, blah blah. And I was like, look, man, they call this place the Dragon House because everybody who lives here does martial arts, and I'm the best fighter. So really, like, just back up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be like all like just just back up. And so they. That actually made shit worse. <laughs> what did you think was gonna happen? So, in my mind, right, I'm the Wu shot, right? In my <laughs> mind, I'm just like, yo, I'm just here's the line, all right? I need you to step back and respect that I live here and that I'm a martial artist. You're not just gonna come rhyming through my house. They get up more angry. I'm sitting there like, I might have to fight a mother trucker or two. So then, this other big random black dude just he's just one of those giant egg-shaped motherfuckers you know what i mean just 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 big he just comes through from behind me and just one palm on the one dude's chest one palm on the other guy's chest and just walks them back <laughs> as he's walking them back and i'll never forget he had the um like a, a burger king like like crown on you know what i mean <laughs> and so he's just walking them back and they're yelling around his body at me I'm about to. I'm sitting here like, what is wrong with y'all? Like, like I'm not even the one touching you right now. Like, some stranger. This guy doesn't know you. Some stranger is holding you back because I asked you to pay. Like, it was a really weird situation. So, yeah, you know, um, at at that at that place at the Dragon House, we would train together a lot, and um, we would uh, we actually tried to get to a couple of like tournaments. And so uh, the Dennis Brown tournament, I did that like twice. And I did another like striking tournament sometime in, um, 
and before that actually I was really like I want to compete so I would just sit there we had a we had a, 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 a little training room and we had a punching bag there so I would hit the bag you know do my push ups and do my forearms and like shadow boxing and all that stuff I'm like yeah I'm ready so the first thing I did was a point sparring tournament this was a big fail for me <laughs> Um, because I went in there just being on on a strength of like you know I know what I'm doing I can it's fight. It's a different world. The people who do point sparring for those who aren't familiar with it, they've specialized all their techniques like to maximize efficiency yeah. to get that point. So um, generally, if you're used to contact, it's it's a different world. It's a different mindset, and those point guys are just the kings of just like getting a toe out there and boop, like yeah. Split, they, 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 they touch They flick the, um, the weak point Point That's it The other person's dead yeah. I, I don't want to say that <laughs> But it, it I mean, comes it takes, across it that way It takes skill But yeah. it, I mean, it, It's exceptional skill It's just a very Different mindset And it's normally I would say 95% of the point guys That I've met Aren't able to translate it to full contact, but the ones that can—they're amazing. They, they are very. Um, Michael Venom Page would be a right. good example MVP. of somebody who has a point background, but has figured out how to transition it into contact. And and so, I, I remember my dad came to come see me, and it was like my first first official like tournament as an adult, and I went up against this guy. <laughs> So the, the grand prize was $1,000. So I was like, yo, this is easy. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to whoop everybody, and let's just do it. Because I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the wusha, but I'm also the saying, you know, saying, saying warrior. I got to go out there and get the scrap. So, but it's point, point, it's point sparring, right? So that means they hit you in an in a, in a open area. It doesn't have to do damage. They just have to make contact, and then yep. that's it. And you only need three points. So basically, you're paying tag, right? So I went in there with a mindset of like, my defense is good enough. My head movement's good enough. I'll be able to go in there and like, I'll hit them once. They'll hurt and they'll hit them again. They'll get weaker and they'll hit them again and that'll be it. Right? Wrong. So the guy that I went up against <laughs> was the guy who goes around to all these things and wins them. <laughs> right? So I'm sitting there being like, yeah, I'm about to mess up some 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 points barring guys. And then like, we they say fight. He lands like the softest. I mean, it was the softest attack. I, it barely, it wasn't even like he landed it. Like, I didn't really respond to it because there was no threat, you know? So I'm just sitting there, like, I'm moving, and he throws in a thing. Whoosh, it barely grazed me. Point. I'm like, this is, this is, this is points for <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got so to quit. So that was your education right there. Oh, yeah. I was like, yo, this, I, I didn't even hit it. Like, we didn't even, like, go at it. He he barely like oh my goodness and then I was like I had to be keep him really far away because his speed was is really really fast and he wasn't looking like I was looking to fight he was looking to win yeah right and so we went in there again scored another one point and I was like ooh but I got, I got I'm starting to learn his his groove so I'm figuring him out I'm like it took you a little bit longer for that one but you got the points like all right cool so I'm I'm timing him we going for a third exchange he's looking to get his final join in. I slip, plant my right foot down. This is like a freaking, like in my head right now, it's going on like a manga or like an anime, like Hajime and Ippo type stuff. You know what I mean? Like, That's exactly what I was thinking was Ippo slipping. Yo, I went, I, I, my, my right foot hit the ground, dug in hard. I turned, I did like the shortest hook off of a weird angle, right? But I hit that motherfucker. I hit him so hard. I, wow, I hit him so hard. I heard so this is back in the um out in the um 
uh, in, in a, not the GM, M- MGM, not the MGM, the, um, the National Harbor. Uh, National Harbor. Uh, I'm trying to think of what hotel was there at the time. It's, it's the same one. Uh, MGM isn't the one. No, it's, it's the next one. It went next to the MGM. Uh, there's only one uh, casino there. No, it's it's the um, the, the hotel. So it's, isn't it? Is it called the National? What's the name of the hotel? So uh, in, in the National Harbor, you have a bunch of hotels. Well, one of them, where they they host a lot of these big events like that, and they usually have like the you know Comic Cons and stuff. Uh, like it that. might be the one that uh, the upcoming Santa tournament that Josh was talking about. Yeah, probably because that's they usually have the the Dennis Brown ones there. Right, so I was there, and there's this big one of the room we're in is this big open room, and when I hit the dude, I heard the sound from reflecting off the walls at the end of the thing coming back to me. So I was like, uh, I know that hurts. I, I threw, I didn't say I would throw everything in that, but I I threw everything that was in that moment into that punch, and it landed square in the face. Wow! And everybody was like, oh, and I was like, yeah, motherfucker, all right, let's go. Go for the third or the fourth round. Point. <laughs> he just, he slided something fast. And I, I think I'm with the block it, but I think like it still touched me. So then it was like, I was like, like that's it? Like I lost and I could, I can't <laughs> compete again. Like this is this whole training thing I put myself through. That's it. Yep. It's elimination style. And then that guy ended up winning and I did some more research and he's, the one who basically, like, every time they have these things when they travel around, he travels to them to compete and make money. So I was like, all right, bro, that's that, that, that's not what I do. But I stepped into your realm and I lost. Hats off to you. Um, so then I started doing the other uh, competitions where there's actually, like, there's a ring, right? And you fight and there's a ref. And so I did one um, at Dennis Brown's. They had a, a full contact sparring. So I was training with my friends. You know, training at home. And my friend Roland, he was uh, my 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 kung fu connect. Um, and my other friend Tim, he was another kung fu connect, but he's also like a film film guy. Um, we, we started turtle wave together. Wow. That's a whole other thing. And then um, my other friend uh, B, we call him B. He um, no, Ching Ching is his name. We call him B. B was like my my coach for a bit because he saw that I was trying to compete and he saw the the, the hunger I had for it and the and my kung fu background. So he was helping me get ready get ready for for some of these uh, competitions. So the first one I went out on my own. I trained with them, but then I went out and did the thing by myself because I didn't have a group just yet, and um, they didn't have anybody in my weight class. So I was like, all right, well, there's me, a guy much bigger than me, and then like. The guys underneath us had fights. What are you like 160, 170 at this point? Yeah, yeah. It was like one one sixty. So then the dude was like one ninety. Easy. <laughs> easy. Right. And so I looked at him, I was like, hey man, you wanna fight? And he looked at me, he was like, I, I mean, I don't think they're gonna allow that. And I was like, look, it's I don't have an opponent, you don't have an opponent. We either got ready and showed up here for nothing at all or we can just fight and just do our best and it's whatever and he was like i mean are you sure you want to do that i'm 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 a lot bigger than you and i was like bro i'm not going home with not with nothing you know so he was like all right i'll see what i can do so he he tried to fudge the the scales a little bit you know and get get in the appropriate you know range and um and i did the same and then i was like all right cool so I'm going to fight him, and 
I threw everything at this man. The kitchen sink, everything. And his coach, he had a coach. I didn't have a coach. He had a coach who was like an old school UFC type dude. Like I think legit he was a UFC fighter. Like, but this was like way back before it was big. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was still like it didn't matter that much. But he was someone who's like, yeah, I've traveled oh, around. He's been there, and he's done, done it. He's got some insight into competing. In oh this. yeah, and that was his coach. So I'm there, I'm sitting there by myself. All I have is the 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 stuff I got from my kung fu school back in the day, and a little bit of training on my friends. So I went out there and I was I was doing okay, I guess. But um, like I said, the size the size difference really played a factor. I mean, I'm a person. I mean, especially who, as raw as you were back then, and I still get it hard. My yeah. technique wasn't as there, but I was still strong. So when I when I threw every, I tell you, I threw everything into this one right cross. Right, I it was an overhand right. I threw everything into it. I saw this man's head buckle back, and the rest of his body and hands continue to move as if nothing happened. Bro, his head snapped backwards and he's still throwing punches. <laughs> he's looking up at this guy and he looks back at me. He's still throwing kicks and punches. I'm just like, what is it going to take to slow you down? Okay, I don't have to stop you, but I just threw everything into that punch. And That's it Brawley. Did no- right. I was just like, so the referee stops the fight. And I was like, yo, man, what's going on? He's like, bro, I know you're upset right now, but in the future, you're going to thank me. Because from what I saw... He didn't really hit you a lot, but when he threw techniques and you blocked them, he knocked you way over here and way over there, and he's exposing your ribs. One body shot, and he could break something. I don't want that to happen to you this early, and this is not that serious. So I was sitting there. I'm, I'm still mad. You know, I'm like, bro, like, I don't care. I came here to do something. He's a, look, of course he's big. I don't. I, I want to do my thing. You know, I, I, gotta, I got to, my pride was on the line. For no reason. <laughs> there was nothing to prove to nobody but myself. And so, you know, I had to accept that. I was like, all right, the referee pulled me out to fight early. I was say, I wasn't getting hit. I was just getting bashed around and like, you know, I was like watching Broly beat up Goku and he's blocking everything. All right, but that block is putting bruises on you. Yeah, and you're not making no progress. So then soon after that, they found out they actually did have an opponent. It's just that when they were doing the um the registration, that guy was competing doing a kung fu uh, form. So he was doing some kind of weapons form while I was fighting. So they brought him back. Like, yeah, we got somebody in your weight class. I was like, oh, all right, cool. I guess I get a fair fight today. That guy also had a coach. And his coach was an old Asian guy and straight up looks like a kung fu master from the movies that I grew up on, right? So I'm like, yo, this is, this is cool. I, I get an opponent. He looks kind of tough. Like, this is going to be fun. So they, you know, fight. And I went to town. I just did everything I could. I was having a blast. I was just fighting. Just I whooped him. I don't remember how it ended. Um, I think I might have finished it in the second round. It might have went all three rounds, but I think I, I think at some point he couldn't return back. And I remember, I'll never forget. Um I know this man. I should. I forget his name. I have his. I have him on Facebook. But I'll never forget when he came up to me and he was like, "Oh, you know, your kung fu is good." I was like, "Bro, I can die now." <laughs> Greatest time. I can die. I had an old Asian man, kung fu master, with the whole the whole look right, come to me and say that my kung fu is good. That's that's it for me, man. I'm good. Like, there's it could only like. 
let's let's go let's go 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 up from here so um so i i i kept a little loosely in, in connection with that with that man and then i ended up competing the following year the following year this was funny so my friends joined in with me and then my one man b he ended up coaching us all so it was me roland and tim we're all training together the closer we got to the actual fight date the more things they started taking off the table that we could do. And so I'm sitting here, I was just like, so of course, of course we could do punches and kicks to, to everything, right? It's full contact. And then like a couple weeks out, all of a sudden it's like, oh, um, no kicks to the face, but you can kick to the head. No, no. Or is it punches? One of them. One of them where it's like, you can't hit to the face directly, but you can still kick to the head. I think that was the first yeah, one, right? It was, uh, probably punches to the face because of ease. I know some tournaments remove punches because they're easier to land a punch on the face, but they allow for kicks because it's a higher... higher yeah, it's harder to land the kicks, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's what they, they're like, all right, so no punches to the face, but you can punch, you can kick to the head and you can punch to the body, I guess. So I was like, okay, that's weird. It gets a little closer, and they're like, oh, actually, um, no attacks to, no, 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 they, they cut off something, I forget what it was. I just remember that, like, it was like a like a, a denomination thing, and they kept making it more and more safe for people. And then when we showed up, and they saw me there, and they're like, oh, you're here. And like, oh, yeah, by the way, no attacks to the head. At all, <laughs> like, like what? I, I just we we have been training, and then y'all been, and it's all right, cool, all right, sure, all right, we'll do it. So we go in there, and I, I'm I'm I don't want to like like toot my own horn on this, but because I I had been the one guy to come in the year before, and like I got like second place because I accepted a fight with a dude like over thirty pounds my weight, <laughs> you know what I mean? and but they knew it I was for real. So when I came back that next year. I knew I, something told me when, as soon as they saw me, they changed their script because they had to go back in and then like yeah. rewrite some stuff. And I was like, okay, that's strange. <laughs> and they had no hit, no hits at all to the head. And I was like, okay, all right, sure. So I go compete, I sweep, I get first place on mine. My friend uh, Roland goes through, he sweeps, and my friend Tim, he goes through and he gets to this one guy, and this one guy starts attacking him. In the head, right? And so we're like, yo, man, like that's that's illegal. But the the refs don't really say anything because there's that guy is kind of close in with some of the rest there. He's like they're one of their um like they're one of his teachers or something like that. So I'm like, oh that's 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 kind of phony. But anyway, so the guy continues to cheat. Like I'm talking kicks to the head, punches at the head, leaping tiger strikes and when i say tiger strikes you have to make a claw with your fingers right leaping double tiger strike to the face and then throws that into a combination so he's not actually hitting him in the head but he's throwing a lot of techniques that would get him disqualified regardless because that's that's how it's you know yeah. anybody else would have gotten disqualified so they let this guy do all this stuff and then i remember in between rounds i told my friend i was like just hit him in the head I said, nah man i want to i want to do this right i want to like no he's cheating He's hit you several times. They gave him some warnings. Hit him in the head hard and then finish him with a body shot. No, 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 no. So he was nice. He, did, he, didn't, he didn't play dirty. And he ended up getting third place because you know, he ended up losing that due to points. So uh, 
P, we're going to have to do something I've never done before. <laughs> we're going to have to do an episode three because I know you have other commitments. Oh, man. What is it? Is yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's about that time. Oh, goodness. So uh, real quick, the question, obviously, uh, with regards to your sacrifice in L.A., working multiple jobs, making it back, not having a gym, still training and actively competing. So from that perspective, <laughs> with us analyzing your career next time, what would you say grind is? I would say grind is never giving up. Grind is coming to that place where you want to quit and you feel like quitting, but you tell yourself that you have a mission to accomplish and you you force it and you, you see it through. That's the grind. All right. Well, thanks again. I did have a question for you, but obviously given our time, uh, <laughs> one of our fans from last time did, did ask a question of you. <laughs> Okay. But uh, we'll, we'll uh, save that one for the next one. Yeah, I Yeah, because I, I feel like you're going to need time to answer this. Yeah, so, uh, There's about promise, five questions in that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we promise he will get to them next time. Um, thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, we are actually going to do episode three with Pianchi. So keep your ears peeled for that. We'll drop it as a special feature. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.